Just two weeks away from the blue-white game, Penn State set to take on Penn State, as usual. I'm taking on Tyler Donahue today. I am Sean Fitz. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're halfway through spring ball. Going to talk a lot of spring practice today. Going to talk a little recruiting to, to end it up. But Tyler, Penn State, uh, I think eight practices in as we record today. And there's, there's some good things going on. Yeah, and, and, and Coach Franklin feeling confident enough in certain guys to kind of open up a little bit uh, during the Wednesday media session. I thought we got a lot of I shouldn't say a lot of clarity, but we got our first kind of uh, semblance of clarity and, and some key positional uh, battles. And, you know, not necessarily expecting that a week ago, one week into practice, but here they are at the midway point. And, uh, you know, this is kind of the time where you see guys hit their stride a little bit and, and show what they worked on during the offseason and what may lie ahead for them. Well, it's funny because if you listen to him, and we're so skeptical about what coaches say because coach speak is coach speak, and you're not going to change a lot of the things he says, but you listen to actually you know, for the most part, what he says comes to fruition on the field. So that's, that's one thing that I've picked up from Franklin is, you know, O'Brien really wasn't that way. Paterno definitely wasn't that way. And it was just one of those things where, you know, a lot of what he says comes true. And if you listen to the right things, and if you take into account the right, uh, the, the way that he says them, and I guess the, the things that he has said in the past that lead up to that, you can really take a lot from these situate or these, uh, excuse me, these, these congregations after the Wednesday practices. So there's some good things, some guys jumping out early. Um, right now, He's not going to get too far into into things like the quarterback battle, but you know Sean Clifford has taken most of the reps. Will Levis taken a bunch as well. Tommy Stevens still limited, as James Franklin said he would be. You know, you get the sense you're probably not going to see a ton of him over over you know into the blue white game at least. So um, didn't really seem all that uh, worried about the situation, but you know Clifford's done some nice things. Yeah, and, and that's the, the feedback we got from, from John Reed. Got a chance to speak with the fifth-year senior cornerback and someone who's getting a first-hand look at all these different quarterbacks. And uh, he says that he feels Sean Clifford's done a nice job diagnosing defenses now. That's that's a step that he's made, being able to fit the ball uh, into in zones. And, and that's maybe something that, that he's progressed on with all these expanded reps. And, and meanwhile, I personally asked John Reed, you know, does he identify as a sympathetic aspect to at least an empathetic aspect going on with Tommy Stevens because John Reed was sidelined all of 2017, well documented. You know, 2018 was essentially a wash for, for Tommy Stevens in a lot of regards. And, you know, this is the last shot for both those players that came in together uh, five years ago. And, and, and you know, f- for both these guys, I think you know, John Reed speaking about Stevens. Uh, he says the reps are there. He's standing behind, even if he can't be completely engaged. He's going through the motions, mental reps, uh, even fundamental reps behind the, the live action. But it's still at some point for this to be a, a, a full fledged competition that's going to show you who your starting quarterback is and make you feel good about that. You need everybody, you know, fully on board, two feet in the, in the competition, and we just don't know how close Tommy is to getting to that stage. And if there's a guy in that room that I'm looking forward to seeing in a couple of weeks at the blue-white game, it's it's Will Levis. I mean, this kid, he's giant. I mean, you stand beside him. He seems to get bigger every time you see him. He looks, you know, like a tight end. He's a, he's a big guy, uh, big arm, athletic kid. He's got all the tools, but, you know, he has he doesn't have that experience. He hasn't been able to to, to get a ton of practice reps. Like this, this spring, of course, is helping him, even though, you know, it might be detrimental to Stevens. But uh, interested to see what he can do. Moving on, uh, we usually go position by position here anyway. Running backs, uh, Ricky Slade and Journey Brown. You have to like what you're hearing right now to those guys. Uh, both, I think, kind of similar backs, so you're not really looking at a thunder and lightning situation or anything like that. 
But Slade is a guy that's I think gotten a little bit more reps when we've been there, and and you know was hurt uh, or banged up last week when we saw him return to practice eventually. So not nothing to worry about. But uh, yeah, Slade and Journey. I mean, you you know that it's probably going to take a step back with Sanders at least to start. But you've got two guys there, and I think you'll see him split carries. Yeah, and, and it's very clear that there's a separation between those two and everybody else in the running back room right now. Uh, Franklin had some good things to say about Noah Kane since he got to campus in January. Called him an old soul, and, and, and we've spoken on this podcast about the maturity and presence that, that Noah Kane brings to your locker room. But that's a tough task when you've got Journey Brown and Ricky Slade ahead of you. You know, I think when you view how these guys ended last year, you know, Ricky Slade you know, found some late momentum. Um, he was clearly the number two option behind Miles Sanders, but I think it's been a big offseason for Journey Brown by all accounts. You know, you were you were well ahead of the curve on, on those reports that Journey had made a big move this offseason. Um, you know, and, and Franklin spent a lot of time speaking with him during the opening press conference. But I think as much of that is about making sure Journey Brown has that positive reinforcement, it's also making sure that Ricky Slade is taking nothing for granted and considering he has a world-class sprinter in the backfield next to him and someone is putting the pieces together, certainly don't think Ricky's going to take the foot off the gas pedal. And and you want that competition. I think if, if you've got a spot here where you, you've got a few guys you're excited about competing, probably not good to have one of them that far ahead of everybody else because, let's face it, at running back at just as much as any position on the football field, you're going to need to be able to rely on multiple guys, I think, in 2019. I agree. And, you know, maybe a slight edge to Ricky Slade right now, but I, I don't think it's enough where you're going to take all, you know, he's going to take three series to Journey Brown's one or anything like that. Or if you want to work Noah Kane in or when Devin Ford gets here, work him in. But uh, it's good competition. And, and it's really, I mean, I think it's a couple of guys who have done some nice things, a couple of guys you can throw the ball to. Will they do that? I don't know. We've been saying that, that they want to for the last couple of years. It really hasn't hasn't come to it. Moving outside, kind of still feeling out the receivers. They seem to, to have taken to Jared Parker, the new coach, and uh, you know that, that, that's certainly step one for everything. K.J. Hamler is going to be the guy you build around. I don't think there's any question about it. And uh, you go in from there, Jahan Dotson, I think, is sort of the, the, the 1B right there. And it's interesting because Penn State, every time we've seen them working a lot of 12 personnel with Pat Fryermuth and Nick Bowers at tight end, got a really good tight end room, I, fl- I feel. Um, but you've got those two guys in there, which means, of course, you, you take, a, take a receiver off the field. Then you get to Justin Shorter. Then you get to Daniel George, and that's a, a competition in its own regard. But for the most part, you know, if you're looking at, at, at mocking up a starting lineup, I would put them in 12 personnel right there. Put Fryermuth uh, sort of, I think, maybe a little bit off the line. Bowers on the line, which I think can really help your running game. Getting those two guys out there because they're not afraid to, to mix it up as blockers. And then you move out, and you got Hamler in the slot. you got Dotson on, uh, either on the other side or... Um, on the outside and and then sort of feel your way out from there so I feel like that's a starting point for them shorter and George I feel will come along really like what I saw from Daniel George at practice on Wednesday night Uh, he he hit a double move on DJ Brown and just just dusted him it was absolutely crazy um, how much separation he got for for a big guy for a big guy to run like that is, is is pretty impressive and We'll see what happens with these guys. Uh, you know, sh- shorter. You know, you'd like to see come along and, and establish himself. He's got the pedigree and everything like that. But you know, George is is, is really not letting it go. He's just kind of quietly going about things. Yeah, and, and and Hamler has very quickly crossed that bridge from the breakout newcomer in the offense to someone who needs to be a leader. It's pretty amazing how quickly that happened because. Uh, he's standing alone as the only guy in this group on, on the spring roster who has more than 300 receiving yards in his college career. Uh, it, it's pretty astounding what has happened in the receiver room. Uh, and KJ Hamler says he's working a lot with Justin Shorter. He said the main focus there is to get him in and out of his breaks uh, w- 
looking more loose. He, he just says that's something they need to get the fluidity. And once that comes together, uh, he also did reference, you know, Justin Shorter dealing with so, uh, some injury issues during the course of his time on campus. Not sure if he was referencing anything recently. We did see Shorter out in the practice field. But Hamler is trying to take on that leadership role as best he can in that group. And he said he's reaching out and communicating with John Dunmore, TJ Jones. You know, considering the scholarship numbers in that room right now, and, and I know you're going to add George Campbell as a transfer, and we'll talk about maybe other transfer options later in the, here in the podcast. Uh, but but it's very, I think it's impressive that KJ took it upon himself to make sure those those freshmen are going to be coming in ready to work because you know you're one or two injuries away from from maybe needing to rely on one of those guys. Uh, I don't think you want to, but but that's just the way things are shaking out right now in this group. And and, and I will say the takeaway is a lot of confidence and comfort with, with Dotson and Hamler. No surprise there. Um, but yeah, I, I still think you know George Shorter. Yeah, Franklin's not tipping his cap in any direction in that in terms of anointing somebody as the as the upcoming starter. He says both of those guys have a lot to prove between now and into summer camp. And um, it's not a matter of will those guys be on the field. They have to be on the field. That's just the way uh, this group is going to dictate things. And, and I will say, uh, interesting, as we talk about receiver, still wondering how Hippenhammer and Cam Sullivan Brown fit in here. I mentioned this last year that there was a chance that these freshmen come in and kind of overtake those guys in terms of the team's overall plans at the position. Uh, we got one guy who's committed to baseball full-time this spring. We got another guy who, who checked out the transfer portal. Um, so a lot of moving parts here, you know, and that's not even counting the, the couple of transfers they're dealing with. So this position to me, Sean, after you know, two weeks into the spring camp is still the one that I, I can't really wrap my head around. I agree. I agree. It's it's one of those ones that you're not going to see how it plays out until August. Uh, the shorter George thing will go on. But as we said, they may not, might not even be a starter out of those two. You could see two receiver packages uh, starting the game. Um, but we'll see. Uh, Dotson's an interesting guy because at, you know he's living up to exactly what we thought he was as a recruit. He's incredibly smooth, a natural football player, catches the ball very well. We talked to John Reed last night, and he said he's as natural in and out of his breaks as anybody that you know he's seen on his time in campus, which is is pretty remarkable. And I, I mean, Deshaun Hamilton was here, Chris Godwin was here, so he's played with some really good ones. And I don't know that he's trying to slight those guys, but recency bias being what it is, Jahan Dotson, he's just so smooth, and that's exactly what uh, exactly what we thought we were going to see with him. Another guy, Dan Chisena. Uh, this is a this is a guy that you know some casual podcast li- listeners may not know. Walk on guy from Downingtown. He's a senior. He's uh, listed at six three two zero three. And maybe the fastest guy on this offense, uh, probably right up there with Journey Brown. He was a sprinter on Penn State's track team. I think we're going to see a little bit of him. And, and I don't know if he's going to be a guy that you see you know, constantly out there. He caught a big ball. Uh, I think it was on John Sutherland last week. At, uh, kind of a coverage breakdown where Sutherland didn't get over. And Marquise Wilson was playing underneath. But got deep, um, had a big catch, and, and we're going to see him on special teams. I have little doubt about that because this kid can flat out run, but really interesting to keep hearing his name pop up because you don't see a ton of those things, especially for being a fifth-year guy, for being a guy that's been bouncing back and forth from football to track. You know he's athletic enough to do it. You know He's legitimately more athletic than, than a lot of the scholarship guys or faster than a lot of the scholarship guys, but uh, it's really, really cool to see an emergence like that, especially in his fifth year. Yeah, and this is kind of exactly what we're talking about at receiver. You know, it exemplifies it. We're, we're going from a five-star recruit who was the number one prospect in the country last year coming to campus. Now we're talking about a senior uh, walk-on player who spent a couple years with a different athletic program. 
at Penn State. I mean, it's running the gamut in this receiver room, and it sounds like both of these guys could be counted on. You know, uh, James Franklin really did not hold back in his assessment uh, of the speed of just the way he's opened guys' eyes on the football field. So, you know, certainly not going to be, um, you know, the the fan who is, is only focused in on who's getting the offers and, and, and knows all the top recruits. He's not necessarily going to be on that radar, but in a room that's going to be, you know, filled up with these former blue chip prospects, he looks like a guy that that needs to be accounted for. He doesn't want to get Chris Hogan again. That's uh, that's his <laughs> thing. He's sick of hearing about uh, Penn State lacrosse during the the playoff runs for the Patriots. Uh, but beyond that, I, I think receiver is kind of a similar situation to the offensive line in that you know numbers are not great there. You've got you know if one guy goes out, you've got to to, to account for that. We've seen that with Juice Scruggs already in the spring, and and Penn State's had to adjust, make some moves. Of course, sliding Bryce Effner down to guard. But yeah, uh, the offensive line, I think, still gaining their footing, which isn't really a surprise. I mean, if you followed this team, what, landing the last five years or so, um, it's it's far from a strength. And, and you know, there's there, there's solid guys up there. Uh, Steven Gonzalez has started a lot of games. Will Friesen and Michael Mennett have come on as starters in the last year or two. But uh, yeah, still uh, plenty of question marks there. You look at right guard, Mike Miranda's, I think, the guy that maybe has an edge right now. C.J. Thorpe is, is right there. I think... You see both of them. I think we'll see both of them this year. And that's, you hate to platoon offensive linemen, but I think we see a decent amount of both of those guys. We saw them both on Wednesday on the same line. Miranda was at left guard. Steven Gonzalez was out of there, and, and Thorpe was at right guard. So cross-training those guys a little bit, seeing what you've got out of them. And they've got players, and that's the, I think, you know, you're looking at a depth chart where you've probably got 10 scholarship guys. You got Rasheed Walker and Des Holmes at left guard, or excuse me, a left tackle. You know, Gonzalez probably isn't going to be supplanted. And then on the right side, Will Fries and Anthony Wigan at tackle. So, I mean, you've got bodies there. Um, it's just not as deep and uh, really not as experienced as you'd like it to be. Yeah, and I mean, Will Fries is someone that we both mentioned heading into spring camp as somebody who uh, was this essentially an X factor for this offensive line, maybe the offense as a group, someone who's going to be entering a third season as a starter. But he hasn't spent a whole season at a singular position. You know, he was he was called upon due to injury as a redshirt freshman, bounced around on both sides when Ryan Bates goes down last year, struggles to to, to get the starting job out of the gate dealing dealing with Chaz Wright, ends up shifting over to left tackle uh, and swapping with Ryan Bates. So we're still yet to see him for for a full season. Um, but but he's someone you need to count on, and again, that kind of reinforces the, the importance of Will Fries. And obviously, you like Gonzalez and Menon. I think that that's a nice combo inside. And I think you know whoever wins that guard guard job on the right side is really going to have to earn it. I, I'd imagine, like you said, we're going to see that extend deep in August, early into September at the very least. Um, and Rashid Walker, you know, we talked about it. He could be he could be really special. Uh, but the growing pains, you know, could cost you early, and you got you're gonna have a first year starting quarterback, and, and that's something that you can't ignore when you're talking about a left tackle. And um, but but I think this is something where people who look at the schedule and they say, why isn't Penn State scheduling you know LSU week one? Why aren't we in one of these big showcase games? Well, you know, when you get Idaho at home instead of playing a, a, an SEC team in Atlanta, say you know the first weekend of September, gives those new starters, especially at, at a left tackle position. A little more time to get their feet underneath them, and I think that's something that could prove beneficial because uh, he has some time uh, before they get into Big Ten play and, and really get into games that are going to de- determine the course of their season. Are you selling Idaho short? 
you're going to get called to the office here, buddy. And this is uh, one game at a time here. So. I felt I felt bad for for selling Pittsburgh short, but yeah, much less Idaho. I feel terrible. Yeah, <laughs> the Vandals have my apology. Flip over the defensive line. Uh, you know, a good bit of bodies over there. Of course, uh, they'd like to have more Shane Simmons. We haven't seen much of him this spring, but a couple of guys they they seem to think that are turning the corner. Uh, and and this is this is very much a spring report in the sense that these guys probably aren't aren't going to be the guys that you're leaning on for 2019. You don't want to be leaning on these guys for 2019, to be honest with you. Um, but Damian Barber and Judge Culpepper, two young guys that are coming around. Uh, defensive tackle, and you're looking maybe to 2020. If these guys can can make a pretty big impact, you you'll be you know looking better than that you do right now. Defensive tackle, pretty much exactly what we expected. Robert Windsor, Antonio Shelton, PJ Mustfer, then a gap. Fred Hansard, of course, still coming off the injury. So there's a, there's a you know from from one to three from and then three to six. There's you know it's a noticeable gap. They like to uh, sort of take that depth and and get it closer together. I guess is what I would say. Yeah, and, and Franklin addressing defensive tackle on Wednesday. It's a position that he pointed to during his opening spring press conference as a as a priority to, to establish that depth and, and a complete too deep, if not beyond that. And we talked a lot who, who's going to be the fourth man. Interesting to hear Judge Culpepper pop up as someone who's had a strong uh, spring. Uh, you know, Sean Spencer spoke last year about the challenges of when you ask a guy to transition from defensive end in high school to an interior role and, and packing on those pounds and trying to maintain your coordination. It, it's a lot to wrap your head on in a short amount of time. And here he is through, you know, through his first offseason. It looks like, you know, it, early returns are good. Um, and I think it's worth noting Antonio Shelton also getting a little spotlight from Franklin. Says he's really seen him translate things from the weight room onto the football field. And I think Shelton, um, you know, you're going to need him to really be a guy who can be out there for long stretches in Big Ten matchups. And we know how many of these conference opponents are going to want to wear you down uh, straight across, straight up the middle. And I just think if you're re- if you're relying on two or three guys to get it done, you're in trouble. Someone's going to get hurt. You never know what could happen. We saw two defensive tackles last year for Penn State get suspended for games. You just don't know what could happen. And I think four, five deep uh, makes you feel a lot better going into the season. And if you're like, we got three guys, and this guy might be able to give us some spots, and this guy may be able to give us some reps, that's a scary situation to play with. Yeah, you look at the Rose Bowl team a couple of years ago, and they went five deep up front uh, at defensive tackle, and you know five guys that could legitimately play and, and serve them very well. So you'd like to get back... To that, and, and of course, they've had their issues with defensive tackle recruiting. That's nothing new to anybody that's listening. So, uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. If if you can get something out of Barber this year, if if Culpepper can come along and, and you can make him a player, I, that that should go a long way, especially because you're gonna you know, lose Windsor after this year, no matter what. So, uh, defensive tackle is there. Defensive end, I, a lot of talent. Um, you know, numbers not not as great as they should be with Simmons not going, but. Uh, front line, Yitor Gross Matos, as we, you don't have to waste much time on him. I think, you know, he's all American potential. Shaka Tony, I think, is the more interesting guy uh, right now. You expected Simmons and Tony to sort of battle it out in the spring. Tony, of course, has, has got the pass rusher role. Really, I think if you, t- if you take a look at the tape for a couple of games last year, really rounded himself into a more complete player, did some nice things, and he kind of faded away at the end. Um, is he at the ideal weight? I think he's listed at 236 or 238 right now or something like that. Obviously, you'd like him to be bigger, but you can play around with some things. You can stand him up, and, and his presence off the edge, I think, will be certainly something to note. Going beyond that, uh, Daniel Joseph, again, another big, big spring for him. Uh, hasn't made the impact that I think, uh, you know, coming off of his redshirt freshman season, some had hoped to see him take that next step. Not quite sure that he's been there. 
Jason Owe, and of course uh, the the early enrollee Adisa Isaac is in there as well. So plenty of opportunity for those young defensive ends. But uh, as talented as it is, it's still a spot that's a little bit uh, banged up and a little bit uh, it's causing a few more question marks than you probably like to see. Yeah, and Shaka Tony, you know, he's a guy that you know. <laughs> It, it, you you just you think about what he could accomplish, um, you know, if, if he puts it together for for the course of a season. Um, you know, it, it's tough though. He he's certainly not a in a you know, it, he's not a guy who's going to exactly fill what Sharif Miller did for you. There's no question about that. They're different players on the on the defensive front. But what Shaka Doni can do is really just give tackles fits with that speed off the edge. And, and I think it's important to see, you know, where he is. Uh, is he someone who can hold up uh, for the kind of snaps that Sharif Miller got? Or are we going to see uh, any a heavier rotation on the perimeter? I think you're going to keep Gross Matos on the field as long as you can. Uh, but, you know, you, you said Daniel Joseph. We don't know where Shane Simmons is. We've talked at length about Jason Owe and where he may be on his development. But, yeah, I think there's a big opportunity. And, and there's certainly a sizable um, uh, sizable duties on on Shaka Tony right now. Look at what he did last year. Five sacks on the season, Sean. Four of them came in the final few minutes at Indiana. So for as great as that performance was and as necessary as it was for them to get out of Bloomington with a victory, you know, there's still not a 12-13 game spread where you're saying he's clearly ready to be a starter. But he was the first guy Sharif Miller pointed to as who's going to replace you. He went right to Shaka Tony. So obviously, you know that's a, that's an interesting ob- observation from someone in the know. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of pressure, I think, to to fill that spot. And I think Simmons, you know, if you get Simmons healthy, that obviously helps with the rotation. But Tony's got a, he's got a lot of talent. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Linebackers also have a lot of talent. Not going to spend much time on them. You you know, pretty much know exactly what you're lining up with with Cam Brown, Jan Johnson, and Micah Parsons. Um, curious to see guys like Jesse Luchetta, how, how they translate to, to being, I guess, more full-time guys last year, or excuse me, this year. Last year, you were talking about him fully as a special teams guy. You get him some linebacker reps, see what he can do, and Ellis Brooks in the middle. Moving to the secondary, a guy's name keep popping up is Garrett Taylor, and that's, uh, you know, that's obviously good. I mean, he's been a guy that started last year, so you would expect his name to be around, but, you know, you ask about leadership, you ask about guys making plays in the spring, Taylor's name keeps popping up. I think they're going to lean on him probably more than, than we think we, we think they will right now. Yeah, uh, Franklin says he, he's you know carrying himself as a vet, and, and that's what they need right now. Uh, they had a guy who carried himself every bit of a vet in that position last year, Nick Scott, uh, very accountable leader back there. And I think uh, with Taylor, it, it seems like he is ready to to you know by all accounts you know move forward from last year, which had some great flashes of a guy who could really perform at a high level. But again, there there were inconsistencies, in that, and that for a first year starter. Now he's five years on campus and a big opportunity for him to, to strengthen his case, individual development. Uh, and next to him, Sean, though, th- that's where the, the intrigue has been. And, and you and I both know this. Who's going to take that safety job? And Lamont Wade, after all that this winter and, and after all the speculation, will he leave? Will he find another spot? He sticks around, gets in a spring camp. Sounds like he's very enthusiastic. A lot of energy out there, according to John Reed, who, who couldn't say enough about playing alongside him on the practice field. And he's the guy we've been seeing out there with the first team. And he's also one of those few players on Wednesday night that James Franklin, you know, without being asked specifically for any names, went to Lamont Wade and said he's had a strong spring. Well, he's enthusiastic and everything, so I don't think that's anything <laughs> new. But does bring an energy back there. I'm curious to see, 
you know, how he's adjusted to, to playing safety full time, if he's wrapped his head around it. And, you know, he's got every opportunity in the world. And we said it on the podcast last week. This is exactly what Lamont Wade wanted. If it, you know, this is it, man, this is what you wanted. This is what you got. So, uh, yeah, I've heard his name pop up from, from teammates, from coaches and things like that. So we'll see if it can make it happen. And, and safety is still a spot that I have as a giant question mark. Sutherland's back there. Patrician's back there. Brisker's lurking in, in Scranton and uh, at Lackawanna, but uh, still plenty of questions back there. You can't can't really hide those guys forever. So we'll see what the what comes popping from them at the, at Blue White. You know they're they're going to have corners in front of them. Very good group of corners um, that we know for the most part what you're going to see. You've got Tariq Castro Fields and John Reed as starters. I think Donovan Johnson's your nickel guy. Good to see him back in pads this week. Trent Gordon going to fight for that fourth spot, but he's got a couple of freshmen that are getting uh, you know, legitimate praise over the first uh, couple of weeks of spring ball and Marquise Wilson and Keaton Ellis. Yeah, it's a big boost to see Johnson back on the field. I think that's a, a really necessary development for this defense. He's a good player. player. He's a really yeah. good player. I know he got hurt yeah. last year, but he's a really good player and a really good spring last year. He was starting to play some really good football last September, and 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 obviously that Illinois game suffered an injury. But but when you look at you know who's who's popping up and maybe taking advantage of the reps that were there for for the taking without him on the field, yeah. Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson continue to be guys that, that are, you know, pointed to among these early enrollees. Really, it, it, I would say the expectations have, you know, you're not really looking at a lot of these early enrollees, even a five-star like Brandon Smith. You're not really looking at, at them as guys who need to get on the field and start. I think cornerback is a spot, especially if you deal with even just one injury here, where one of those guys is going to need to be ready to go and, and take on some, some serious snaps as a true freshman. Uh, no surprise here about Keaton Ellis. Marquise Wilson is a guy who, because of how his high school career shaped out, didn't have a, as as good of a kind of notoriety of what he was all about as a player on the field. And and I think he's proven himself uh, to to be someone who's very aggressive and someone who has has proven to be uh, you know as this is a term that gets floated around a lot. But KJ Hamler said he's got the dog mentality, and you like to hear that for a cornerback because you want to bother the heck out of that receiver across from you and it sounds like Marquise is that's kind of guy but uh you know and in, in, in from KJ Hamler's point of view both of them are exceeding his expectations I think that's good to hear from your top receiver um and and all of a sudden that 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 spot throw in Trent Gordon a, a, a red shirt freshman now you feel pretty good about where it is right now and where it may be headed yeah I don't I don't really have a problem with with corner and how that's shaking out but yeah Marquise Wilson did not play last year as a senior I guess uh, it or excuse me, uh, New England as a whole, you know, it's kind of crazy because you've got a lot of guys that end up going to high school technically for five years and they play, you know, a lot of them play it for five years uh, at private schools. And of course he went from private to public and he lost that last year of eligibility and couldn't play. Um, so he, he must have spent that off season, you know, you know, preparing for this moment. He's done a good job. And sometimes, you know, when you have that long layoff, you're not going to be coming in and competing right away. He's been able to do it. I guess he did not like redshirting his last year and does not look like he wants to redshirt his first year. A couple of guys that's caught my eye, uh, those early enrollees, of course, uh, 14 of them joining in January. A couple of guys that really seem to, uh, you know, jump out at you on the field. Adisa Isaac, and I mentioned him with the defensive end a little earlier. This kid's he 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 is flashing something special, and he's not there yet. He's he's raw. He's he's kind of like Jason last year. Not sure if he's a guy that you see play more than four games. Uh, you know, 
maybe as a, in the old rules, he probably would have played a couple of games. But this is, a, is an interesting situation because we were watching practice last week, and this kid's burst off the edge was was pretty unbelievable. And he's got the, a little bit more natural feel for the game than Jason does. So interested to track both of these guys for the next couple of years uh, at defensive end because obviously I don't think it's any secret. Yitor Grosmato is probably going to go pro after this year, so they're going to have some holes to fill there. So if Adisa can come along, he's adding you know weight as we uh, you know as every time we see him, he looks a little bit different. So really, really excited to see him. And then on the other side, Brenton Strange, and I can't talk today, and I apologize for that. Um, but on the other side, Brenton Strange at tight end, uh, just a bigger athlete than you would expect. Again, he's not six three, what he's listed at. Uh, I'm not sure who did that one, but uh, this is a guy that can he can run around, he can make catches, he can he can move around, you can move him across the formation, do some things, and uh, really just adding to that stable of tight ends. He's got Zach Kuntz a year in front of him. Uh, Kuntz will have to come along and probably embrace the the physicality of the game a little bit more. Um, but uh, you, you, you're, you're starting to see, and, and Fryermuth may be a three-year three, three year guy here, so it may throw a wrench into things, but you're starting to see that uh, that tight end room really develops itself into one of those strengths, and Brenton Strange fits right in. Yeah, and I think Tyler Bowen's going to keep momentum rolling. Everything you hear on the, on the 2020 recruiting cycle, a lot of positive feedback from some of these tight ends. The, the tricky thing is you look at that depth chart, can be intimidating for someone who wants to play early, but Brenton Strange, you know, he, he knew what he was facing. Uh, and certainly the nice thing here, like a lot of these positions, is you're getting really high-caliber recruits, but you're getting them in situations where you don't need to rush them on the field. You don't need to shortchange their immediate development because you need help on the football field. And you know, the same goes for those linebackers. And as I mentioned before, these guys go to a f- some different schools. They're, they got to be vocal points on defense or offense. Not the case right now. And that's what kind of the, the, the advantage that people don't necessarily look at Every signing day is when those great signing days start to add up. All of a sudden, you know, your second, third string guys, you, know, you feel really good about where they can be a year from now as they're kind of, you know, simmering behind the scenes. We've seen Alabama, Clemson, the teams that compete for championships do that every year. I think the fact that you got a, a talent like Brenton Strange in a situation where he certainly does not need to see the field, uh, the way things shape up r- right now, I think that's great. You nailed it with the linebackers comment there. I mean, it's it, it, Brandon Smith and Lance Dixon a couple of years ago would be you know right in that too deep right now trying to to compete. Now they've got you know, quality guys in front of them. They've got guys that have uh, veteran experience in front of them as well. So we're hardly uh, it, talking it, about Brandon Smith. I mean, you yeah, know, is I mean, you think about it, the top ranked linebacker in the country according to twenty four seven Sports, a five star prospect, one of the top ranked recruits in the history of Penn State in the composite rankings since two thousand. Uh, and yet here we are two weeks into camp and no one's asking about him. And because you look at what they got at linebacker and you say, well, Brandon Smith fights his way into a special teams gig like Jesse Lucchetta did last year. Maybe that's his best path. And again, that speaks to the strength of what's ahead of him on the depth chart. It's sometimes amazing to think what, what the difference would have been if this kid would have come in this year, if this kid would have come, it was, was a year later or if anything like that. But yeah, I mean, Smith and, and Dixon, and I think they're coming along. You know, we talked to, I talked to some people this week. They seem, seem pleased with their development so far, but you just don't need as much out of them anymore. So that's, uh, that's certainly, I think, a good thing when you talk about the entire roster. And, and you kind of alluded to it, and Franklin talked about this in his press conference last week. It's not so much building the first team, and uh, it's about filling out those twos and threes which they've, they've had issues with in the last couple of years, and you've seen those teams wear down when you lose a guy for an injury or suspension or, th- or something like that. So we'll see what happens with them. But uh, productive first uh, half of spring ball, I guess that's, a, that's in the books right now. 
uh, really quickly, just want to talk about who's got the most to gain in the second half of the spring ball. And I, I'm going to start with Sean Clifford. Uh, we talked a little about Cliff before, and he's getting the reps. He's getting everything that he could ask for right now. And and I still think, again, this I still think this is Tommy's offense and Tommy's job to win. But at, at some point, you can't ignore what, what Clifford's been able to do if he's been able to put together some strong performances in practice. Yeah, and I, th- I think I- I'm going to go back to wide receiver, and I just think the door is wide open for for a shorter George. Those two guys, particularly, I just think really set the tone for themselves. Not just the practices, go out there in front of the Beaver Stadium crowd, have a little extra pressure on those guys, go out there and perform. I think you'd feel a lot better about that group uh, if they can finish strong here. And then I think also, you know, elsewhere in that backfield, you're going to see keep seeing Ricky and Journey go back and forth, back and forth. But I think in terms of someone who, you know, continue to polish him, continue to get him, uh, you know, feeling comfortable as best you can at left tackle is Rasheed Walker. I think every rep is huge for him. Keep accumulating them and getting them in a spot where by the time you're rolling into Big, Big Ten and you got future first-round picks at defensive end, Rasheed isn't as wide-eyed as he, as he will be you know, right now or heading into summer camp. I agree. I agree. A couple guys on defense I've highlighted. Uh, Daniel Joseph, we talked about him before. He's got massive opportunity in front of him. He's got a lot of talent behind him. So it's kind of in that, uh, you know, now or never type thing. Uh, Trent Gordon, uh, Penn State likes to play four corners. They, they sort of settled on three last year. They had three pretty good ones. And uh, Donovan Johnson kind of saw himself out uh, on the outside looking in as the fourth corner, although he was hurt a little bit. And McPherson, of course, moved on after being the fifth guy, but Gordon's got an opportunity to be that fourth guy. He can play inside and out, can do a lot of things, and he's got a couple of guys knocking on the door in Ellis and Wilson, so you know he's going to have the opportunity to step up and, and take that next step. And then I, I, you nailed it earlier. Uh, I'm trying to save it for now, but I just could not, could not hold you off. Lamont Wade, every opportunity in the world in front of him. We'll see what happens. Of course, Sutherland's still there. Patrician's still there as well. But Wade, uh, you know, he's, he seems to have handled the things that he's been asked to handle. And once they start asking for a little bit more from him, we'll see what they what he's got. Yeah, and I think, you know, by the way, this, there's new staff members involved. We talked about, like, the newcomers to the football field. But, you know, this is a huge couple-week stretch here for, for Jared Parker with his wide receiver group, getting them on the field, uh, being actively engaged with them, feeling them out, personality standpoint, building those relationships further. I think practice really strengthens that. And then, you know, special teams, there's a lot to work on. Uh, I, I know that they're well underway with, with Lorig and getting to work, and they have the new motto there. And I think uh, a lot of these things we talk about where the depth is maybe preventing some blue-chip players from getting on the field as freshmen or, or redshirt freshmen, that's great news for a special teams coordinator as he's surveying the field and seeing these former five-stars and four-stars and really trying to see what they can accomplish with his unit. Uh, I think that's really interesting as well as they continue to develop develop a new mindset with a guy who's really sunk his teeth into the special teams during his career. You make a great point there, and it's it's something that I really love to hear uh, from Franklin. I think it was last week or two weeks ago when he talked about Joe Lurig not coming in to work on the special teams, but coming in to install his own special teams, do his own kind of things. That, to me, you know, sounded a, a really, really familiar. It was really familiar from Franklin going back to 2016 when he hired Joe Moorhead to be the head coach of his offense. He hired a head coach of his special teams. It's not uh, his guy, Galliano, under him and You've got hands in the cookie jar doing every little thing. Joe Lorig's there to coach special teams. He's there to coach his special teams. And the, I guess the fewer guys that have the input on this, and I'm not selling anyone short saying that you know nobody deserves to have their input, but 
the fewer guys making decisions on the special teams, the, 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 the better off I think they'll be. And I, I, you know, while we won't see what happens until the fall, I think that's a, a big step forward. And, you know, you, you sort of, when you were talking about Franklin bringing in Moorhead a couple of years ago, uh, you know, I kind of said hats off to him for taking a step back, kit, getting his hands off the offense. Now I think we're seeing that with special teams, and I think that, that, that will benefit them immensely. And, Sean, before we turn the page here, and we're on special teams, last Wednesday night after we recorded our, our, our most recent podcast, we got a chance to see some kickers in action. And I, and I commented on our message boards on Lions 24-7, the stark contrast between what we saw at that same camp, uh, at that same spring practice last year versus what we saw last week. Last year, you had one guy there, a, a walk-on who is you know, Carson Landis, who's no longer with the program. He was the only guy there, and he had a really, really rough day in front of the media. And it sent up a huge red flag about their kicker situation and, and whether or not Blake Gillikin would need to step in this time. Not only was it Jake Pinneger, but I think you had Rafael Cheka showing off the boot. Tobin uh, hit a 40-yard field goal. And, uh, there just seems to be, at, at the top, you've got a scholarship guy that you feel pretty confident and, and good in investing that scholarship. And then I think they got some depth. Uh, you know, If anything were to happen or if they want to roll out a guy who can maybe kick one from even longer, um, it, I think that, just, that position has really evolved in a short period of time, and, and that stood out to me during the practice session. Just so you don't get yelled at, Carson Landis is still on the roster, so somebody would have noticed that and come after you. So, oh no! Uh, <laughs> Ho- yes. Hopefully not Carson. No, I hope not. Yeah. yeah hope. <laughs> well, we'll get I, the player feedback at this at some point. But yeah, my my apologies to Carson. I'm sure no, he's competing. He is. He is. But uh, really quickly, Miles Sanders seems to be a hot name right now, and that's uh, you wrote this this week, I believe. NFL. One of the NFL. dot com guys had him in the first round going to the Rams, which is a pretty good situation to be in, uh, no doubt. And uh, I think they've I've seen him go to the Eagles, so seems to be fairly consistent in that first and second round. Which we, you know, a month ago we were probably talking about him as a second, third round guy. Yeah, and and that was from Peter Schrager putting that together for NFL. dot com. He, he's one of their uh, analyst on Good Morning Football, and, and you know, he he makes the case for for the Rams looking for a, a, a counterpart uh, essentially to Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley's 24 years old, but but you're hearing about arthritic issues with his knee and and 600 plus touches the last couple of seasons. It makes some sense for a team that could afford a luxury pick. But I think at this point, the, the destination is all speculative. It's more about what's the common thought and theme about where Miles Sanders is going to land in the draft. And it's gone from, I feel like it's gone from late day two uh, to early day two. And maybe a team sees a reason to maybe trade up late in the first round and grab him. Um, you know, running back's an interesting position in the way NFL front offices evaluate it. I don't think it's an even playing field in terms of how, uh, you know, each team, what they're willing to invest in the position. Some teams never draft a running back early. Other teams do it too often. Uh, but, you know, good for Miles Sanders because every rung up that ladder, uh, you know, means more guaranteed cash. And, and that's great for him and his family. And, and I know he's excited to, to land in a spot where, you know, he's going to come in and, and get a chance to be the vocal point. But even if he lands alongside, you know, an MVP candidate in Gurley, there are opportunities in the NFL. And, you know, all due respect to Miles now, Saquon Barkley's doing it right now, but how many backfields across the NFL truly feature a singular guy back there? It is a short list. So it wouldn't surprise if Miles Sanders does need to start in a situation where he's sharing carries, but he's not going to be buried like he was for the first couple of years at Penn State. Uh, he, someone invests the pick that high, they're going to be uh, using him as, as often as possible. 
Well, that seems like an ideal situation. I mean, you've got first round money, late first round, early second round money to go there and sort of save your body to prolong your career playing alongside, you know, say for instance, Todd Gurley. I mean, it's a pretty good spot to be in. I mean, you can, you know, your carries are going to suffer, but at the same time, you're going to have the opportunity to show, you know, when he goes out with a a knee injury or something like that, uh, like he did this year, you got an opportunity to show what you can do. And, uh, you know, it's going to end up sort of prolonging your career, making you a little bit fresh. And Miles Sanders is a guy that they talk about as being fresh to begin with after the two years behind Barkley. So seems like kind of an ideal situation. Just me. I mean, I'm not a big guy that, that, that goes after running backs in the first round. So I could I, I see him as a, as a day two guy, which is certainly nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But uh, you love to see his name up there. You've got some buzz. Penn State gets some buzz. And it's it's really cool to see you know, his uh, sort of transition from being, you know, the backup last year to all of a sudden being a potential first round pick. It's really cool. Yeah. And it it felt like for a while, it was almost a foregone conclusion that Amani Arawarie would be the first Penn State player to hear his name in this draft. And, uh, I mean, I think there's maybe kind of a shift there, but the good thing is, you know, from Penn State's perspective, and obviously they'll do everything they can to publicize, uh, you know, draft success on the recruiting trail, you know, within their own locker room, it's good for morale when you got guys making good money in the NFL. Um, I think you know there's a chance here. You know, McGovern saying he he he's hearing second round, they may have a shot to get three guys in the top two rounds. Now, I still think that sounds high for McGovern, but I'll take his word for it. He's the one having these conversations with the NFL front offices and scouts and evaluators. Uh, you know, but but in a, in a draft class for Penn State, where I think a lot of people were wondering where it would land. You're looking like you may have three picks in the first two rounds, and, and that's something to hang your hat on. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, when we were talking about guys leaving and, and doing things, you didn't really expect that. You thought McGovern maybe a third to fifth round. He still might be that guy, but still, I mean, if, if you can sort of stack those guys on top of each other and get, get into day two and you hear Penn State's name a couple of times, it's good for them, it's good for the program. And who's going to uh, who's gonna be the Troy Apke? That's what I'm like, who's the guy who's going to go earlier than we all thought because you know it's going to happen and there's going to be someone in this mix that – that's going to maybe not get drafted, and you're going to wonder why. It's, it's always interesting to see how the draft board shakes out. Um, and, and so I'm not asking you for an answer here, but I'm saying four weeks away from the draft, as we record this on Thursday, it's, it starts in four weeks in Nashville. Um, I'm sure we're going to see more ebbs and flows, but things turning in the right direction for some of these guys. We will do our mock thing. You weren't around for it last year where we got the closest one, got the uh, six-packs, and I happen to be defending champion from that. So we'll let you get a couple of weeks and before we get to before Wonderful. we get to that. Okay. Penn State had a busy weekend uh last weekend on the recruiting trail hosted a handful of guys. Actually busy might be overstretching it because if you take a look at the, what they had 2 weeks ago and what they've got coming in next weekend this might have been a little bit of a down weekend. Jimmy Christ was up from Virginia, Jaleel Farouk from uh, 2021 from Maryland, Najee Story, a 2021 from Ohio. They had a mini Ohio Junior Day where they brought in a bunch of guys, ended up offering Brandon Taylor out of that group, a defensive lineman from Ohio who's, uh, you know, I think uh, was listed at 6'4", and now he's 6'2". It's funny how that happens when they seem to, to visit these schools. Um, but uh, liked, liked Brandon Taylor enough to, to see what they have in him and, and extended him an offer. So I think that can be a guy that you look at down the line where, you know, you got in early. Of course, Michigan State's in there as well, but you got in early. You've got an opportunity to get him back on campus a couple times. If you want to make a move, I think you can do that. Uh, I don't see Ohio State moving on him, but uh, you never know what can happen. Off, uh, excuse me, uh, extended a couple of new offers. 
one of those ones that really turned heads, Nick Dawkins uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, Parkland kid, offensive lineman, has, is still growing. I think uh, he's grown an inch in the last couple of months. They like him as an interior guy, but uh, he's got some good reach and he's got some good bloodlines. Yeah, of course, his father, an NBA legend. But I think with Dawkins, you know, at this point, because of the way things have gone in recent cycles, and, and really this cycle now too, uh, 2020, 2019, any of these Pennsylvania in-state offers, you know, they, they pop up and it's a pretty big deal because uh, they have been few and far between here. Uh, and, and I think with Dawkins, he's a guy who clearly went to campus on that mission to get the offer. He was excited. Brian Doan caught up with him. Um, and, and he, he, you know, in the days since then, more offers have come. Uh, but obviously, in-state lineman, uh, getting an offer out, it's still relatively early before the official visit window. So I think Penn State puts themselves in a good spot there. Um, like I said, because well, well, let, let, let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk about sure. what Penn State does for in-state offers. I mean, there's a there's a different sort of playing field because obviously you want to you want to protect your state. But the way Pennsylvania has been in the last couple of years, it's been so far down that you really, you know, you, you, you have to evaluate these, you, you know, go with your own evaluations on these kids and you can't waste an offer. You can't throw an offer out to a kid in Pittsburgh and then stop talking to him. You can do that for, you know, it, almost anywhere else. But those in-state guys are ones that they sort of put on a different sort of pedestal, not because they're Pennsylvania guys, but because you can't ruin the in-state relationships and do things like that. So Nick Dawkins is a guy that they had in the fall, uh, in for a visit in the fall. They kept an eye on him. Obviously, you know the background, you know the oper- or excuse me, the uh the, the the pedigree that he has with his father Daryl Dawkins, who's a, a a basketball star, so they kept an eye on him, and they don't want to move too early on these guys. And you know it happens. You saw uh, the the kid from uh, Coatesville last year um, that ended up at Rutgers, the running back Aaron Young. They kind of you know moved away from him, but for the most part, when Penn State goes after a Pennsylvania guy, they go all in because they kind of have to. Yeah, and, and remember that there was, uh, you know, Joey Porter this time last year didn't have his offer yet. We know very well how, how it turned out with Daquan Hardy, you know, very, very end of the cycle. Um, but, you know, last year, you know, there was a lot of concern. You know, why isn't Keith McGuire getting offered? Kid who, the linebacker who signs with Clemson out of Malvern. And, and people are asking about uh, Christovich from, from uh, Pine Richland High School. Um, you're right. You have to play it differently. You can scatter these offers in, in South Florida and see what sticks to the wall and see what Cider can maybe do for you. But when you're dealing here on home turf, you got to be very calculated more so than, than any of these uh, situations. So you make a great point there. Um, and, and again, that's why I think, you know, they're offering a kid. Uh, they're ready for him to commit, I would imagine. If it's an in-state kid, they're invested. They're ready. And, and, you know, I think it's a really interesting name to throw up on that offensive line board. And I wonder how Nick Dawkins now approaches it. Um, how further does he want to expand his horizons? Because when you look at his offer list and what he's got cooking and where he lives, Penn State certainly seems like it, it shifts the dynamics of what he's got going on. I agree. I agree. I mean, anybody that you know has been in Pennsylvania or is a Pennsylvania prospect, you you have to take seriously as that offer. Uh, of course, Fleming's there, Carmody's there, um, guys that have been on the radar forever. But if you see some of these guys pop up, uh, like Josh Kaltenberger is an offensive lineman uh, that is going to visit this weekend. He's you know an FBS guy, and you've got a couple other FBS guys, and and that's the way it was in the 2019 class where you had a bunch of FBS guys, Power Five guys, maybe just at the level that Penn State's recruiting right now. 
it just wasn't happening. I mean, I'm looking at the offer list for 2020, and there's three Pennsylvania kids on there. There's also three kids from Connecticut, three kids from Massachusetts. You've got more off, you know, you got more offers out in the District of Columbia than you do in, in twice as many offers as you do in Pennsylvania. So, and you I can think spray they, those out. With half of the, I think they've got double the offers in the 2021 class on home yeah. turf than they do in 2020. So, look forward to 2021 in terms of uh, it looks like the local front's going to be different. But I think that tells you a lot. You're offering what five or six? I think it's up to six sophomores in the state of Pennsylvania versus you know three uh, who are going to, uh, you know, coming up on their high school senior seasons this fall. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, Cullen Coleman also picked up an offer. He's a linebacker. I'm not sure if he's a linebacker long term. I'm actually not sure what he is. You pop in the tape and and he plays at I think Rye Country Day School in I think Westchester County, New York, or somewhere around there, and the competition is just not very good. You can easily pick him out without the arrow on him in his huddle film. I mean, he's a guy that's just, he's bigger than everybody, he's faster than everybody. It's really interesting to watch his film. So curious to see how that uh, translates. They offered him as a linebacker. Is, is, is he a defensive end? Is he a guy that keeps growing? Um, it's hard to say, but uh, you know that's something that uh, we'll monitor down the line. But Penn State already seemed really happy with the Penn State offer. Uh, that's Colin Coleman out of New York. Uh, a couple of guys to keep an eye on. Maybe they're Penn State prospects, maybe not, but both from North Stafford, where Devin Ford came from. Uh, Nana Asidu's younger brother, Ambrose, was up. He's a 2022 defensive end. And Tevin White is a kid that I've been trying to monitor. He was a freshman this year, and he was sort of splitting carries with Devin Ford. So you turn on Devin Ford's tape and you see him playing in the slot. Well, that's because they have a really good freshman running back. He was up uh, last weekend as well. Moving on into the week, some important visitors coming in. Zach Zinter, the offensive lineman from Massachusetts, was in. Group from Virginia that we thought you know was supposed to come in over the weekend. They ended up coming uh, you know for, for Monday. Keontae Jenkins, Tony Grimes, Katron Evans as two five-star 2021 kids in there in, in Grimes and Evans. Uh, and then Anton Harrison and Golden Achumba, two offensive linemen from the D.C. area, popped up. Uh, uh, Anton Harrison at Archbishop Carroll and Achumba at DeMatha. So Penn State sort of filtering these guys in and trying to get uh, a little bit of momentum uh, coming back with the 2020 class right now. Yeah, this is never a dull moment. And with, with with these different players coming in, and it's interesting, like some of these guys have had offers for a long time. Others just picked up their offer. It's their first time getting to campus. So there are a lot of players in different parts of their recruiting process. And I think the key thing with a lot of these guys who are making, you know, four or five hour road trips or, or more is, you know, are, are you ready to lock in those official visits? Because that's the next step here. You know, building that blue white game visitor list it, it, last year was such a massive event. I think it built momentum with, and really set the stage for their late spring commitment spree. Um, you know that's the priority now, and, and and we're starting to talk about official visits. So you know it, it's not necessarily about who's getting to campus th- these weeks. That's important. It's who's coming back, who, who's planning those return trips off these campuses. And the thing is, a lot of the feedback we're getting is uh, very proactive approaches for some of these prospects who, who want to get back to campus as soon as possible. And it's still a delicate balancing act. And I don't think anybody really knows how to f- uh, figure out those spring officials versus fall officials because, you know, I mean, it's a case-by-case basis, obviously. But you have to figure in if the kid, you know, wants to decide in the summer. You have to figure in if you can get him back for an unofficial in the fall. If, you know, if he goes and visits Penn State in June, but he wants to see Clemson or Ohio State or somebody like that in the fall, then you've got an issue and you can't, you know, it's a tough corner to be in because I don't think there's any right answer. Penn State had success last year. They got commitments from Devin Ford uh, at at the – 
at the blue white game also got a commit from from Cameron Kelly who never really went public and now he's all of a sudden back in the transfer portal after a couple of months at Auburn um, but uh, so you had success at the blue white game you had success guys like Michael Johnson Lance Dixon John Dunmore for that first weekend in June they're going to set up a, a bigger weekend at the end of the the open period in, in mid to late June as well to see what can happen but then of course your biggest selling point if you're Penn State is that blue or excuse me is that uh, whiteout game um, and we'll see how many guys are still on the board at that point. You know, I had Theo Johnson tell me that night he set up his official visit, or he's planning on taking his official visit for that whiteout game. So it's just it's such a delicate balance, and there's really no right answer. So you're going to see guys popping up on visits, on official visits, maybe sort of out of nowhere, maybe like, why is he taking that visit now and not waiting? Obviously, they'd prefer to have the in-region guys wait a little bit longer, but that, that's certainly not always the case. And, and another notable thing here that's going to you know impact Penn State's target board, especially in the Northeast, is the, the, the spring camp circuit is working its way north. Weather is starting to get nice. I'll be at the Jets facilities in a couple of weeks, as you well know, to, to see the New York, New Jersey regional. Uh, they're going to have the Ohio. We're talking about a lot of Penn State targets who are going to have a lot more eyeballs on them. And, and I know plenty of college coaches will tell you they don't pay attention to, you know, to, to the recruiting analysts, and that's good for them. Good but one. trust me. There's, there's significant fallout from, from these camps. Some of these guys who are maybe viewed as, as mid-tier three stars go out and blow up out of nowhere. And then maybe there's some guys that, you know, some competitive issues pop up and, and, and maybe you're not sure where they are or, or they're, they're physically, they don't look as, as good as they did last season and it doesn't look like they're treating themselves uh, right, you know, in the weight room. So I think there's a lot of things to, to, still, to still sort through. Um, and, and Penn State is ahead of the curve of where they were last year. They had two commitments on board at this time last year. Um, but, yeah, you want to see that momentum build. And, and ideally, you know, heading into this spring uh, stretch where you have official visits, you know, you get a few, a few of these guys to, to, to take the plunge at the same time. And that's how you end up getting, you know, seven, eight commitments in a two-month span. It just seems to happen that way. Uh, and I think we're all kind of, you know, keeping our eye out for when that, you know, the, the next dam uh, floods. Yeah, you'd like to see that. And you mentioned that five versus two. You got five commitments right now at Penn State. You had two at this time last year. I think the expectations for Penn State's 2020 class, just based on what was in the region or what is in the region in the 2020 class, has impacted how this class feels. And you've got guys, you know, Fleming's checking out Clemson and Ohio State. You're feeling a little bit nervous there. Bressy, of course, Clemson, that crystal ball run is there uh, as well. So, I mean, that's it's really... These elite guys are are going elsewhere, checking out things, and you like to see a little bit more momentum. Mo, excuse me, a little bit more momentum building up. If you're Penn State, they're going to try to uh, you know uh, you know get back into it. And will that? I guess uh, the next opportunity will be the blue white game. They usually net a commit or two out of that. So uh, a lot of questions here. I I don't think it's as dire as some people put it, but I think there is reason for concern. You want to get these guys back on campus. You want to get these guys. I guess keep them uh, from visiting elsewhere. You're going to see a lot of kids going to Oklahoma for the uh, spring game on the 13th. You're going to see a lot of guys hitting that Clemson spring game next week. So it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic. It's, it's weathering this storm and getting back to where you need to get back to. And and again, I mean, the, they're going to host some guys for official visits. There's, I don't think there's any right answer on that, whether it's in the spring, whether it's in the fall. But sort of got to hang on for a couple of weeks and get back, uh, get these guys back on campus for blue white. Yeah, and it is. A, I mean, it is a competition across college football to 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 build up a, a big event. 
it doesn't come naturally or easily to have something like they did last year where you had 160 recruits on campus, a bunch of your top targets. Uh, you've got a lot of other schools in the region down south that are going to be playing their spring game on April 13th. They'd love to utilize that as a showcase for their program. So we'll see where everyone get, ends up on that weekend. But you know, it, it's definitely – these guys have options. There's only so many Saturdays in the spring to make these visits. There's only so many carpools to hop in and head to a campus so it's 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 can be very nerve-wracking for some of these recruits and and i know people are they get caught up in the visits here but it's spring break you know we're seeing a lot of these guys explore and i think the next phase after this a lot of times what you'll see after all these spring break tours and road trips something that brandon smith did last year you'll see a narrowing of the focus a lot of trim down lists a lot of these kids with top fives top fours hopefully not too many top 14s top 15s um, and we're going to actually start to get some clarity on who are the true contenders for for some of these Penn State top targets. Because uh, I know a lot of people are, are are seeing all these visits, and it can be tough to figure out who's really legitimately involved. Yeah, top fourteen, top fifteen. Yeah, uh, there, there's a line, and um, it's it's that's neither here nor there. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. Another guy that was an interesting guy that was in this week, Cole's Kicking's number one punter, Kai Kroger. Of course, he's a punter. We're not going to spend too much time on him. Our apologies to the specialist here. But I think Penn State does have room for a punter in this class. Blake Gilligan's going to be gone. Um, they're going to have the opportunity to to come in and compete right away. Number one by Coles, and I'm not a punting expert. I'm more of a long snapping guy, but if you're if you're ranked number one somewhere, that's that's a good thing. So they're going to get him back on campus uh, June first. See if he can uh, you know kick it with the specialist camp. And usually after the specialist camp, we saw this with Jake Pinniger a couple of years ago. After the specialist camp, things kind of move a little bit quickly if you're trying to to sign a scholarship player at that position. Nice weekend coming up for Penn State. Uh, headline: Braden McGregor. He's a guy that. 24-7 Sports has the number 27 player in the class of 2020, a kid from uh, Michigan. So we've got the Michigan offers, Clemson's out there, Notre Dame, of course. Uh, a lot of schools are after him. And he just he just went up, I think he was number 200, and he was 200 and some and went up to number 27 um, in the 24-7 Sports rankings. So he's on the rise. A guy that I really like, Olu Fashanu, uh, offensive lineman from Gonzaga in D.C. This is a kid that uh, I, I think has a ton of athletic upside. Uh, it was, I think, an all-WCAC player last year. So he's got an opportunity, I think, to, to you know, he's, he's, I think he's on the upper half of the board at offensive tackle. We'll see if Penn State can make its, its run with him. I think he's visiting Ohio State and Michigan this week as well. Uh, and Cody Simon, linebacker, whose, whose brother Shane plays at Notre Dame. Of course, he goes to St. Peter's Prep, so we've kind of seen this story before. But he's still popping up for a visit. We'll see what happens, see if he wants to blaze his own trail, because you never know uh, what can go um, uh, what can go from there? Yeah, Olu Fashanu, yet another uh, DC product. Doesn't it feel like whatever happens in DC this cycle could ultimately determine, uh, you know, how impressive this Penn State class could be? There seems to be a lot of guys on the radar who have a lot of interest from other schools, uh, but he's another one popping up. Mike Wyman is someone I got a chance to speak with this week, Sean, and he's someone who showed a lot of interest in Penn State early, very pro- proactive on the recruiting trail at a young age, and he made it up to campus in 2017 with his mother for a game. Well, 15 months later, this February, Penn State offers Mike Wyman, um, and he's been a name to know for a while. You know, you check the rankings, he's top 150 in the composite, uh, 24-7 sports evaluates him as a four-star prospect, and six foot four, 195 pounds out of Dudley High School in Greensboro, North Carolina, offer sheet, you know, checks off a lot of lists, 30 plus offers. 
Um, you know, he, he sounds like he's going to get things down to a top five. He's got a bunch of visits coming up, and Penn State's going to be one of them. It's his first time to campus um, as an uncommitted recruit. And when we talk about, you know, the Julian Fleming uncertainty that people are feeling. I think overall at the wide receiver spot, there's been a lot of names that we've consistently gone to. Mike Wyman is not one of them, but to me, it's it's very much an open canvas in terms of who could end up filling these receiver slots, and it's a very important part of this class. I agree. I agree. It's a. I think you can see them taking three guys. They might set out to take two, but they could take three. You can also throw an athlete in there at some uh, at times as well. So. Uh, Take a look at that redshirt sophomore class with Sullivan Brown and Hippenhammer. Far from sure things. Um, so you've got uh, you've got an opportunity to add numbers to that. And of course, when you've got a new coach coming in and Jared Parker, he's got his guys that he's been recruiting at Duke. So you might see uh, you know a kid he, he recruited Georgia or he recruited Florida. You might see those kids pop up and uh, you know just sort of come from from pretty far off the radar to check out Penn State. Um, a bunch of kids uh, from Pittsburgh slated to come in this weekend, led by Elliot Donald, the 2021 defensive tackle, nephew of Aaron Donald. I don't think Penn State wants to make that mistake again by letting uh, a Donald get through. A uh, really good player. I mean, he's got uh, a ton of potential on his own, regardless of what his last name is. So interested to see that. And then A.J. Beatty, another defensive lineman from Pittsburgh Central Catholic, a guy that you know, you'd like to watch. You know, He's an athletic kid. He's got 30-some offers, and, and you know, a lot of those offers are – Patriot League, FCF, all that kind of stuff, but he's got the opportunity to to sort of rise through this spring period, and, and Penn State is going to take a long look at him as a defensive lineman. And just as we're putting a bow on uh, on this recruiting conversation, um, you know, going back to North Carolina where Mike Wyman is 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 a top prospect, uh, another offer going out there recently to Mario Love, um, and he is teammates with Evan Pryor, uh, considered one of the top prospects at running back in the 2021 class. Pryor is the younger brother of a Penn State undergraduate, a sophomore, so he's always going to have a reason to keep coming back. He's been raving about Penn State to his teammate, Mario Love, who's a cornerback. Both of these guys are 2021, so still a ways to go, but really like where Penn State is with Pryor, uh, and, and, and they've been in a good spot with a lot of elite running backs lately, and so this kind of follows that theme. I'm getting a, a very much a sense that these two would like to play college football together. We've heard that ad nauseum on the recruiting trail year after year after year, but Penn State officially in the mix for that potential package duo with the offer to Mario Love, who says he'll be working to get back to campus as soon as possible. Wouldn't surprise me to see Love uh, and Pryor back on campus together um, sooner rather than later, maybe for the spring game, which is is where uh, Pryor attended and got his offer last year. Well, we're talking 2021 package deals now, so it's probably about <laughs> time for us to wrap up. Uh, real quick, Aaron Lewis, top five this week. This is, a, I think, a very important kid for Penn State. Um, not in the sense that, you know, I, I think he's a really good player, but this is a kid from South Jersey, um, Williamstown. He was a South Jersey Player of the Year, and uh, Ohio State's offered, Michigan's offered, but West Virginia seems to have the inside track right now. And, you know, if you're Penn State, you got to fight that off. And that's uh, this is a new staff bump. Uh, it's going to happen at West Virginia. But, you, I mean, just think about the logistics of this. A South Jersey kid from a Penn State area, you know, goes to West Virginia once, blows him away. And he went to Ohio State after that. But, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's really getting down to the spot where he's narrowing down his list. He's got that top five. He might take officials. But if this is Penn State, this is one that I'm, war- uh, I'm looking at as sort of a, a temperature gauge of the rest of this class because this is one you don't want to see get away. The major oversight by me, the South Jersey native, not to mention the top player out of that region in this class, and and Aaron Lewis, six foot five, you know, right around that two forty range. 
he played a lot of interior football last year. He was asked to, to handle some nose duties uh, up front f- for his team at Williamstown. 25 tackles for loss, 100-plus tackles. Um, that's pretty darn impressive for a defensive lineman, especially when he's sliding inside. And, and I don't know if you gave that full top five, but it's Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, West Virginia, and Wisconsin on that list. And and certainly a guy that, that I think uh, a priority for, for Penn State. They've signed out of New Jersey the last couple cycles – uh, two top 10 prospects out of the state each of the last two years. And uh, uh, they certainly have scattered plenty of interesting offers in New Jersey. Aaron Lewis, the guy I'm excited to see at that opening regional uh, that I referenced earlier in New Jersey coming up. My apologies to the Badgers. I left them out. Penn State <laughs> trending on the 24-7 sports crystal ball for Enzo Jennings, a safety athlete out of uh, the Detroit area. He's been on campus a few times, and we talked about him after the junior day in February, I believe it was. Just an interesting kid because you no Michigan State offer, but still, I mean, it's a top 100 kid or or right around there. I haven't checked his profile in, in a few weeks, but Penn State's got a real opportunity, and, and it seems like every year you've got Lance Dixon, you've got Donovan Johnson. These these four uh, and five-star, in, in the case of Dixon, just seem to uh, make it to campus, can uh, keep making it back to campus, and, and all of a sudden you're a dark horse. Alan True, Steve Wilfong uh, both have their crystal ball picks in. Mine's probably going to come pretty soon, but uh, it's a really interesting situation because you're looking at safety as a spot with a ton of question marks, and, and this is a kid that could come in, uh, maybe not play right away and, or start right away, but he's got an opportunity to, to elevate the athleticism in that room very quickly. Yeah, and if this is something that is coming sooner rather than later, you really like what's going on on defense. A couple blue-chip linebackers already on board with Jacobs and Wingo and a four-star cornerback with, with Moten. So I think, you know, really interesting to hear that that those crystal ball picks are in because when those guys make the picks, especially uh, in Big Ten territory up in Michigan, I'm going to pay attention. But add K.J. Hamler to that list as a Michigan native who has obviously made a name for himself in Happy Valley, and, and, and it's going to keep on going. I talked to Miles Rouser, who is one of those very – select few 2022 offers that Penn State has put out, a high school freshman there. Um, he's at a big-time program in Michigan, and, and he says Penn State's a school that, that he has really thought about playing for for quite some time. So nothing wrong with going into somebody else's backyard and, and taking advantage of what they got, especially if they take a, a little bit longer to identify uh, that talent. Yep, yep. Uh, so we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks, months, whatever. We'll have you here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We've kept you here on the Lions 24-7 podcast for over an hour now. Thanks for joining us. He's Tyler Donahue. I'm Sean Fitz. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your po- or find your particular podcast. Give us a rating. Uh, leave a few words if you want. But thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll see you next week.